the promise of resurrection will inevitably spill out into the world. Have you ever forgotten that? Have you ever forgotten the inevitability of it? Um, maybe for you, you, were, you felt like you were just making progress on your campus, in your neighborhood, and now you got to throw on a mask again. Maybe it seems like sharing Jesus with your neighbors is just impossible. You know, people don't want to meet. People are slow to meet. People are slow to come together. Or maybe you're seeing the legitimate health threats of COVID or quite frankly, any other danger that existed, which there are many before this. And you're just preoccupied. You just maybe don't think about things like resurrection the way you used to. What's the most important thing you can do when you've forgotten the resurrection? The most important thing you can do is to remember it. (laughs) The Apostle Paul can certainly relate to us. And I don't think he ever wore a mask because as we've walked through the book of Acts, He's had a long, painful journey. you remember it? False accusations, near-death stonings. People threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. <laughs> uh, mock trials. Um, public, uh, public shaming and imprisonment and beating. And then uh, top, it all, top it all off, he gets into a shipwreck last week. Um, what's helped him press on? The resurrection of Jesus. Because if you remember Paul, before all this happened, way back in Acts chapter 9, he was spiritually dead, he was an enemy of God, and then Jesus made him innocent before God. He... um, Now, because of that, he's no longer spiritually dead. He has new life, and as he moves on and on toward his destination of Rome, this new life is just kind of spilling out of him. It's inevitable. Wherever he goes, it's almost going to get to the point this week where it's like the guy can't die. And in that, we're going to learn a lot about resurrection. So let's look at Paul's last stretch as he moves to Rome, and we'll see what we learn about Jesus and what we learn about resurrection. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 28. This is right after the the shipwreck. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island, that's where they crashed, was called Malta. The native people began showing us unusual kindness For they kindled a fire and they welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, it's with a capital J, has not allowed him to live. 
He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and they said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So the first thing we learn here is that God's justice gives us certain resurrection, not certain death. God's justice gives us a certain resurrection and not a certain death. There's two examples of resurrection here, a snake bite and a very deadly disease. So let's look at the um let's look at the snake first. So Paul's fresh off of shipwreck and he's won the trust of the crew. And they're on this strange island and they're welcomed by the natives. But then Paul is being a servant, which I don't know why he's not letting the crew do this. He's gathering sticks for a fire and his payback is he gets bit by a viper, but then he just kind of shakes it off and he's fine. And why is this here and what does it have to do with anything, let alone resurrection? But we have to understand the natives and their interaction with Paul. Because the natives, if you notice, they're really friendly toward him at first, which seems like a strange thing to do to a boat full of prisoners. But then they think he's a murderer in verse 4 after he gets bit. But then when he's fine in verse 6, they change their minds again and they think he's a god. They seem unpredictable. Now, a clue is their words in verse 4. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, with a capital J again, has not allowed him to live. This is a reference to a Greek goddess whom these people worshipped. And for the sake of time, the clearest explanation of their belief system is sort of a sense of karma. Let me just walk through this scenario and apply karma so that you make sense of it. So they begin kindly, even though they know he's a prisoner. Why is that? Well, some commentators, I think, very rightly suggest that due to the fact that they safely survived a shipwreck, because that doesn't happen very often, that they would have associated Paul's survival with his innocence. You didn't die. Justice, therefore, dictates that you are innocent. That makes sense. Divine justice. You do good, good happens to you. But then, Paul gets bit by a deadly snake. So now, up, oh, nope, they think he is guilty. Divine justice took a while, but it finally caught up. God's justice doesn't work that way, does it? Now some of us, and especially before we knew the Lord, that's how we go about life. 
Bad things happen, therefore I am guilty. Good things happen, therefore I am innocent. God's justice doesn't work that way. So here, here is what I think God is announcing to these natives through the Apostle Paul. I think God mercifully helps these people understand Paul's state in the only language they know. If he should have died here, and I'd like to think they know they're snakes, but he didn't, therefore he must be innocent. He must be trustworthy. God has smiled on this person. Now, how exactly Paul was spared, I don't know. I think it is wise to assume a miracle again, because these guys, I think, know they're snakes. <laughs> they know their island. They are natives. I mean, after all, we just saw a shipwreck. And now we see a lethal wound. And the wording of the natives showed an expectation for him to die. In fact, they started saying he was dead before he even showed effects, which he never did. Justice has not allowed him to die. It's like he can't die. In short, I think while last week we see allusions to the shipwreck kind of pointing to a certain death of Paul and aligning that with the death of Christ, this is like the resurrection. Paul in this body Seems like death can't touch him. I think this is God's promise of resurrection spilling out onto the island through Paul in a language that natives can understand. Even a native can get this. There's an innocence to Paul and it's tied to new life. And... Um, In this, we learn, and they learn, something very important. This God is not like your sense of justice. God is unpredictable, but he's also hopeful. You can't control him. You can't package him to equate personal status and health with guilt or innocence. You can't do that with this God. But there's also a hope. So how do the people respond to this confusing God? Because obviously Paul is confident through all of this. The natives are confounded. God's justice just kind of does that to them. It shakes up their little twisted sense of justice because they go from friendly to accusatory to worshiping. And all that happens in, I don't know, a few minutes, a few hours. I don't know snakes like they do. God has shaken their sense of justice. And he can do that to people. I mean, how many of us, before we started reading Paul, or reading the book of Acts, had some pretty messed up views of the Apostle Paul? He's a weird guy. He hates women. He's obnoxious. 
But look at Paul. We know his history. Is he really so innocent? What blood does he have on his hands? You remember right before chapter 9, mathematically was chapter 8. <laughs> you remember what Paul did to people? Remember what he did to Stephen? Stephen, a servant of the church, died and they laid their cloaks, the people that killed him, at the feet of Paul who approved it. And he ravaged the church. And he would go into people's houses and he would send them to jail. Good people. People who just wanted to see the gospel go out. And they meant no harm. Paul does have guilty hands, doesn't he? That snake should have killed him. But it didn't. Because God's sense of justice is unpredictable. And it's full of hope. And it is full of life. And so Paul is. God's justice speaks loudest here. He has brought a justice that is full of hope. But God's not actually done yet because right after this, we see a second example of resurrection over death. A deadly disease in verses 7 and 8. The father of the chief of this island is sick with fever and dysentery, which was something, by the way, that people did not typically recover from, especially not easily. And as it's a father of the chief, he's a little older, a little less likely to recover. And what does Paul do? He lays his hands on him and he prays. And this man is made well. He is recovered from certain death. Can I just cut right to the point here? <laughs> Paul's hands are not full of death. They're full of life. Out of the innocence given to him by Jesus, the old man who, like Paul, is supposed to be dead, <laughs> is raised to life. The promise of resurrection just keeps spilling out onto this island. The result this time is that the people are not necessarily confounded so much as many of them are now healed. And then they rightly honor Paul. I don't know if they're still worshiping him as a god, but at least they're not hoping he's dead. They're starting to move toward the right team. He goes from a man accused of murder to a man helped on his way. And so because of that, this promise of resurrection is now going to continue to spill out. Be on your way. Go spill out this hope anywhere you wish. How does this apply? If you are a Christian, don't be confounded by the looming threat of death. Don't be confounded. Paul isn't. I mean, we don't know exactly what all is going on in his head here. But we know that he knows God has promised he would get to Rome. Before and after the snake. He knew it. 
And he's been growing in confidence. And so the point is this. His focus is not on the danger around him, but the mission in front of him. Whether it's building a fire, whether it's healing a sick old man. He knows God has made him innocent, and so he is bringing the hope of the resurrection with him, and he's allowing it to spill out all over the place. That is what is preoccupying him. He is not confounded. He is confident. Now, you and I might not have visions that tell us we're supposed to go to Rome or a certain place, and we might not have snake invulnerability. But, those of us who trust in Jesus, we have the same core motivation as Paul. Because in Christ, you don't really die. You don't. You might still get bit by snakes. (laughs) Your boat might crash. But you don't really die if the resurrection is true. And if that's you, you know that the reason for it is because God has made you innocent. And God has raised you to new life. So when death stares at you, what should spill out? Not confusion, but confidence in the resurrection. In other words... If you get COVID, and I mean the big capital C COVID, the one where you go to the hospital, don't be confounded. Or if you have lingering, debilitating pain, you know, maybe some of you guys are like, this isn't new. I've been staring at death for years. Don't be confounded. Or if you're robbed of sleep month after month as a parent, don't be confounded. Or if people threaten you for believing in Jesus on your campus, don't be confounded. Now you can cry out to God and long for your resurrection body, of course. Paul actually does this in his letter to the Romans. That's not a problem. It's not like you don't get bit by snakes or your ship doesn't crash. But here's the thing that's running underneath it. You're not a victim of the God of justice that these natives are worshiping. That's not the God that you serve. Pain and death don't automatically equal condemnation. Rather, when you are tempted to be confounded, think of the resurrection. Think of Jesus. He made you innocent by his death and his resurrection, and he promised you certain life and not certain death. Anchor yourself there, because when you do, you will not only have hope, but you will confound people. And if your hope is not in Jesus, your application is this. You should be confounded. You should be. Who is this God who makes guilty people innocent? People like Paul. Who is this God that I can't control? 
Who is this God who promises resurrection where death should be in charge? You should be confounded by that. It is Jesus. And you should be very confounded by him. Because he is God's son. But, while you should be confounded by that, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. Because you can actually accept the innocence that he offers who no one else can. You can actually be resurrected. You can actually honor God's messengers, people like Paul. You can actually be a part of the mission. Because you can't stop what God is doing, but through Jesus, you can actually join him. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what happened to Paul when he was saved. I'm not breaking any new news here. And that's exactly what he's doing now. He was a guy who was confounded by God, and now he's working with God. He's just letting Jesus' resurrection hope spill out of him. It's not even about Paul. This is not some power move. As one commentator puts it, it wasn't so much here that nothing would stop Paul as it was that nothing would stop God's promises from being fulfilled. And it's just happening through Paul. And now it happens through people like you and me. So on Paul goes. Sped along to spill out the resurrection. Let me read verses 11 through 16. We're going to take it to Rome here. Verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Putioli. Then we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so, we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So the second thing we learned is that God's justice sends us on an impossible mission that can't fail. In other words, if point one was you can't really die, point two is you can't really lose. Now, this is simply a a travelogue of sorts, so I'm not going to walk through each verse. But it does sum up Paul's journey. That's what I'll do. Over the last number of chapters, God has taken Paul through a lot of pain, and perhaps the most shocking part about it is where he is going. He's going to Rome. That's the main verse I'll focus on. What do you know about Rome? Is it a spiritually lively place? A place that seems ready to receive the gospel? Not really. That might be the most spiritually dead place you can think of. 
but it's the hub of the world. And the resurrection, as promised by God, is promised to spill into the world through Paul, who has arrived as promised. So that's where he goes. He knows what God's told him to do, and he goes and does it. And the best way I would describe Rome, and even this journey that Paul has been on, is an impossible mission. How is God going to do that through one guy? It doesn't matter how. He will because he's God and he promised to do it. He did it back at the beginning of Acts. When he told his disciples, you are going to reach the ends of the earth. And he did it. And before that, he did it when he promised to send Jesus to Israel who had shown their spiritual deadness from the beginning. He kept his promise. And in the beginning, Jesus brought life where there was not even death. There was nothing. That's how God has operated all through scripture. Where there is only death or there is only nothing God brings life into that thing. And he does it through people who are sinners. He makes them innocent and then he uses them to fulfill his promises. God is a God of life. And so Paul's story here is simply another example of what Paul or of what God has been doing all along. Keeping his promises and giving life. So he sends people on what seem to be impossible missions, but they are very possible because of who God is. Now, how would all this apply to those who read this in Paul's time? How would they read this travel log and this whole story? Well, the guy who received this letter. There was a notable official named Theophilus. And he was a guy who was being persuaded by the author as to Paul's innocence. I think if he would read this portion, he would be encouraged. Because God delivers Paul to Rome as promised. Look, back here previously, God said, I'm going to do it. And he did it. And it's through this journey that Paul's innocence has been all the more proven and his confidence has grown and death has again and again been confounded by this God who delivers the promise of resurrection to impossibly dead places. Now the confidence in the resurrection has been the heartbeat of the church, especially church missions. There's a 19th century minister named George Whitefield who was a prolific speaker and evangelist. And he said this, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. That's how the mission works. God uses you and he guides you and it's as though you can't die until he chooses to end your life but then you get to spend eternity with him. So there is no impossible mission because of that. Because of the God who's behind us. So how does this apply to us? Don't be afraid of the impossible mission. 
Uh, Becky and I went to uh, North Africa last week. You may have heard about that. Um, you know how I'd sum up North Africa? Impossible. We went to one city that had a million and a half people. Guess how many Christians are there? About 50. We sat in one room with probably about 25% of them. So in other words, take Beaver Stadium last night, 100,000 people, multiply that by 15, and then cut this church in half. Impossible. In America, we send our kids to vacation Bible school. In fact, some of you did it relentlessly this summer so that you could have a few minutes of peace. If you witness to a child where we went, you go to jail. And when you speak publicly, you have to use very coded language. You have to be very mindful of the language that you use. Don't ever use the word mission. And I mean, that's on top of the nuances of the language itself. Have you ever tried to speak Arabic? It's very hard. Impossible, right? Not to God. Not to God. And not to these dear brothers and sisters that we met in North Africa. I mean, the, the life coming out of them, that's pretty overwhelming. I wouldn't say it was confounding. It almost seemed that way. But it was exciting. One believer there told us that he was not planning to leave until they had established fourth generation churches. Is God calling Becky and I there? I don't know. I haven't heard a voice as clear as Paul did. So I don't know. But I know that we have all we need for the mission that he has for us wherever that is. And so do you if you are in Christ. Mission isn't impossible if God is behind it. So... Here's how it applies to you. Look at the mission in front of you. Look at the family he's given you. Look at the neighborhood he's given you. Look at the campus he's given you. Look at the world in its state. And remember that the mission is not impossible. In fact, you can't lose it because of who God is. Now again, maybe things like these ordinances are kind of making you crazy. You know, I admit as an elder, you know, we get emails and they, they lay out complex regulations and um, fine print that is uh, slippery. And I read these and it's easy for me to think, really? Like, really? Really? 
Can I spend my energy on something more important? Or, I was just starting to make progress, and now i got to cancel that thing. Right? And I have to get past all this, and then share the gospel with people whose hearts I can't change. I feel the same way with my kids. <laughs> and, here, and that's the point. You know? When I look at stuff like that, it brings me low. And it makes me dependent on God. And that, I think, is exactly where God wants His people. He wants you dependent. So if the mission seems impossible, good. When it does, you need to remember who sent you on it. That's how you can do it. Because He raised you from spiritual death. And no matter what happens to you on the mission, He will raise your body from the dead. Because he took away your guilt and he made you innocent. And he did the same for Paul. And if you're in him, he did the same for you. And he can do it in the hearts of anybody that you encounter in any country. The resurrection will spill out of you and onto them. And all of this is possible. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. And so because of that, the promise of resurrection will inevitably spill out into the world. May it spill out through us. Let's pray. Dear God, it is so easy for me to get caught up in how I would run the mission And it can be so easy for me to be caught up in how I want the thing to go. Even what I define as a successful mission. But sometimes success looks like shipwreck and a snake bite. And success means you make it to Rome. But God, that's the hope of the resurrection. It's going on ahead of us, through us, by your power, into impossibly dark places. And because of that, your people can go anywhere and they can endure anything because you did first. Lord, help us to worship you with our lives, knowing that. Amen.